Let us remain standing now as we read together God's word from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same, and about five o'clock he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, for the past three weeks, we've been in a sermon series called Thankful. And we've learning, been learning about how to be thankful, not just because uh, Thanksgiving is coming. Uh, if you didn't know, it's, it's this Thursday. Uh, hope you got your turkey. Um, it, it's an exciting time, right? It's, it's kind of an interesting time when we get together with family. And, and, you know, despite drama, despite, you know, all the anxiety that comes with that, we try to be thankful, right? And we try to talk about that. Well, we're learning these last three weeks about how to be thankful, not only because Thanksgiving is coming, but because we've been learning that being thankful is good for us. Being thankful is good for us. That we've learned in these past three weeks that, that it not only leads to us being healthier and being happier, but it leads to healthier and happier relationships. It leads to healthier and happier children. It leads to better sleep. There are so many things that being thankful does to us and does for us. And so these past three weeks, we've been learning about how to be thankful. If you have your sermon notes with you, I invite you to take those out and help us to guide us through this time together. Uh, the first week we started the sermon series, we learned that asking for help is the first step in being thankful. That asking for help is the first step in being thankful. That in order to ask for help, we have to truly look at our lives and, and take an inward look and figure out what we can and cannot do. And when we realize that there are things in this world that we simply can't do on our own or we didn't do on our own, we start to become more thankful. And so we were asked to ask for help the first week. And the second week, we learned that, that thanks is not governed by circumstances. Do you believe that, that, that thanks is not governed by circumstances? That if it was, in fact, we would hardly ever give thanks if it was governed by our circumstances. But we're called to, in fact, look above and beyond that. And so that's a little bit of what I want to talk about again tonight is, is how we are called to look above and beyond our circumstances. Because it's a little difficult, right, to, to give thanks. And as we head into this Thanksgiving season, we are, we are constantly reminded of the events that just happened a week ago in Paris. That, that acts of hate and evil killed 130 people, and, and the toll is still counting of those who are injured, those who were affected by these awful attacks. In fact, Melissa and I uh, received the amazing opportunity actually to um, take a week off last week. We, uh, she and I and our daughter Anna and our family actually went to Mexico uh, to a hotel there in Cancun and got to relax for a week. And, and, it, and it was an amazing time. And, and it was kind of funny. As soon as we got into the hotel, the first thing I did, maybe kind of like a man trait, was I, I grabbed the remote, right? And, and I turned on the TV and, and it wasn't working exactly. Like the, the picture was kind of funny. And I pressed a button and the entire TV went blank. And I had broken the TV. And, and, you know, 
kind of a typical man thing, I, I, I didn't ask for help, right? You know, I didn't, I didn't call anybody. Most of the time, you know, you ought to call somebody and get that fixed. It's like, ah, no, it's all right. You know, I'll figure it out. We didn't have TV the entire week. I, I, I never figured it out until the last night. Melissa and I are, are, are getting ready for our date night. We're getting ready to, to go out. And, you know, Anna was with her, her grandparents who came with us. And, and, and we had a whole date night to ourselves. We're getting ready and getting dressed up. And I got ready a little earlier. And I turned on the TV and, and pressed the right button that was on the remote and finally got the TV fixed for the first time our entire trip. And when I got the TV fixed, the news station came up, the first station, and reported all of these awful events that had already happened in France. And reported that, that France had actually attacked Syria, dropped bombs on military stations there, and we were met in the midst of this beautiful scenery in Mexico, a time to relax, a time to be, a time to hear waves crash and kids play, and, 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 and all of these amazing events were happening. And here, through the television, I could see these awful events that were taking place. And even in the midst of this, God calls us to give thanks, friends. To give thanks. It's truly a hard thing to do, is it not? That when we are met by the realities of this world, it is very difficult to give thanks. But the truth is, I think many times we fail to see the entire story. And I think that's a little bit of what Jesus tries to tell us in this parable. Jesus tells this parable um, in response to many questions about wealth and justice. Jesus tells this parable in response to the questions of wealth and justice. That preceding the passage that we just read, Jesus is asked by a rich young ruler what he has to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus tells the man to, to follow the commandments. The man says, I've done all of them. I've done all of them. What else do I need to do? And Jesus says, only one more thing. Only one more thing. Sell everything you have and come and follow me. Sell everything you have and come and follow me. The, the rich ruler goes away crying because he's so wealthy, because he has so much stuff. And that starts the disciples asking questions. Well, Jesus, what do we do with wealth? What do we do with money, Jesus? What about, what about this, Jesus? What about that? And what is justice, Jesus? What is, what is right? What is good? And Jesus, in typical fashion, instead of just answering the questions outright, tells the disciples a story. In fact, we call them parables, and it's not to believe that these are historical, actual events, but Jesus tells these parables, these, these characters, where the stories are made up, but where truth is found in them. And he tells them the story, and we read the first part of it. And the way Jesus tells a parable is he begins the story with something familiar, with something that, that all the listeners know, and then as he continues the story, he adds nuance to it, where it becomes more and more unfamiliar. And he turns the story upside down. He begins it with something very familiar. He says a landowner had a vineyard. And he goes out early in the morning and he finds day laborers to work in his vineyard. And when he goes out and he meets them, they decide on a daily wage. And they agree upon it. And then the laborers go back to his vineyard and work. Something very familiar. Something that would have been done over and over again. Something very familiar. In fact, we read later that the landowner agreed to pay each day laborer a denarii, a denarius. This denarius, most scholars kind of go back and forth on how much this actually cost and, and, and what the equivalent would be today. 
And, and as much as we can tell, if these day laborers were making one denarius a day, they were among the poorest of the poor. That one denarius a day was not enough to support an entire family, maybe enough to support one person if you were able to work every day, every week. That these are the people to whom Jesus is speaking. These people who make one denarius a day, these day laborers, and he says, there once was a landowner who hired people just like you. Hired people just like you. And he continues the story, but the more he continues, the more unfamiliar the story becomes. He says, first of all, the landowner went out to find these day laborers. Jesus says the landowner went out to find the day laborers. He didn't send a servant. He didn't send a slave to go out and find these people. He himself went out into the countryside and found these people. And not only that, but he didn't just go out in the morning to go find these people as usual, but he went out again at nine o'clock. And then at three, and again in the afternoon, and then again at five o'clock when there was one hour left in the work week, he went out and he found these people to work in his vineyard. And as we hear this story, it becomes less and less about the landowner having projects done on his vineyard than it does about these people needing work. The landowner goes out and he sees all these people in desperate need of work. And he finds them and he tells them to come back and work at his vineyard. And so he does. He calls these people back, and even the ones who have waited out till 5 o'clock, he pulls them in just to work one hour. And he tells his manager that when it comes time to pay these people, you should pay them in reverse. You should start with the ones who have only been here one hour. And you should pay them first, and then pay the ones who have been here the longest last. Now, this is completely upside down of what the people thought. They said, well, if you had somebody who had worked longer hours, surely you would pay them first to give them more honor and to get them out of there quicker because they've been there all day. Why would you pay the one who'd only worked one hour first? And what they see is those who have only worked one hour get a full day's wage. They get a full day's wage. And so we read half the story, and something happens to those standing in the back of the line when they see that the ones who had only worked one hour get a full day's wage. What do we find? But the people in the back of the line start thinking that they're going to get paid more, right? If, if that's what they get paid, imagine what I'm going to get paid. We read about it again in, in Matthew uh, chapter 20, verse 10. It said, now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against their landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them what, friends? You have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. You have made them equal to us. The problem isn't money, friends. The problem isn't the fact that he paid them the same amount. The problem is that he made them equal. Friends, we struggle with grace. We struggle with the love of God because it makes us equal. Despite all of the differences that we tried to build up between each other, despite all the lines we try to make between us and another, despite the houses that we tried to build, despite the property lines, despite the state lines, despite the country lines, friends, God's grace makes all of us equal and we struggle. We struggle. 
Jesus tells this story about wealth and justice, and he says that it makes all of them equal. But the landowner, being complained to, being grumbled at, responds in this way. He says, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. I think this is an incredible story because it challenges us in so many levels. That, that imagine if you were the last day laborer to get hired that day. Right? I mean, imagine if your livelihood, depending on you earning just enough to get by on that day, and you hadn't found any work all day. For whatever reason, maybe you were running late for something. Maybe your child was sick or something happened to you on the way to work. Or, or, or maybe you showed up and you were there, but nobody hired you. And imagine how demoralizing that would be to stand there all day in the scorching heat and get picked over one by one and watch everyone else leave as you are standing there. Imagine the hope that you would experience seeing one more person come at least to work one hour. You're thinking, all I want to do is just work one hour. Imagine the hope you would find in somebody choosing you after that long day in the scorching heat and saying, go work in my vineyard. That what we find in this story, the parable, the landowner agrees on a usual daily wage for the first workers, right? He goes out early in the morning when the sun rises and he says, I'll pay you one denarius to work in my vineyard. And they agree and they go. But what we find is that as the landowner goes back and forth, as he keeps going back out and finding people, he stops agreeing on a daily wage and he says, I'll give you what is right. I'll give you what is just. And he tells these laborers this as he goes out later and later in the afternoon and they don't care. Right? They're fine. I'll work. I'll do whatever I can. Imagine being that man, that, that woman who says, I'll do whatever it takes. Just let me go out and work one hour. Imagine working for that one hour as hard as you could and going to the line to get paid, finding out that you're first and getting paid a full day's wage. How would you feel, friends? What would you experience in that moment? Now imagine you were chosen to work that day, that you had waited all day, gotten picked over one by one, that it was now five o'clock, you had one more hour to work. Imagine the landowner coming to you and explaining the end of the story. Imagine him coming to you and saying, I will pay you the same that I've paid everybody else if you work one hour. How hard would you work, friends? How much more diligently would you work for that man? How, how grateful would you be to that person as you rushed out to his vineyard, as you did whatever you could in that one hour? I'm sure we would have never worked harder in our lives without one hour as we showed this gratitude, this appreciation. Now imagine you're the one who showed up early in the morning and you heard the end of the story. Imagine doing everything right. Imagine the alarm going off early in the morning, just enough time to get dressed and prepare and go out and wait in the right spot at the right time. And the landowner come to you and say, you will work in my vineyard. I'll pay you a full day's wage. But here's the thing. Someone else will work only one hour and receive the same pay as you. 
How would you feel, friends? We'd feel cheated. We'd feel slighted. We might not work as hard. We might slack off a bit. We surely wouldn't be grateful to this landowner who hired us. That's how many of us would feel because of the place in which we live, because of the work ethic that we have. But I think we only feel that way, friends, because we truly forget our story. We forget our story so often that God has placed directly in our lives. That there are are consequences in forgetting our story. One of those is that we make assumptions when we forget. That the laborers who had worked there all day, that when they forgot their story, when they forgot the story in which they were placed, they started to assume that they were going to get paid more. They started to assume that they were going to receive much more because this person only worked one hour and got paid a full day's wage. And so surely I will make more than that. And they started to assume. Do you guys know what happens when you assume? Anybody? Assumptions are planned resentments. Why? What were you thinking? (laughs) You guys. Okay. No, no, no. (laughs) Assumptions are planned resentments. It's true, right, that any time we assume something, we're just setting ourselves up to fail. And this is what happens. We forget the story that we start making it up on our own, and we fail so many times over and over again. And that's what happens. We start to resent people. The people who who got paid last started to resent the landowner because they had assumed that they were going to get paid more, because they had forgotten the story. They started making it up on their own. That one of the things that happens when we forget our story is that we start to make assumptions. But the other thing that happens is that we grumble against God. We grumble against God. The good news is that we are in a long line of God grumblers. Do you believe that? That that constantly we grumble against God. We read in the Old Testament constantly is the Israelites grumbling over and over against God. That in fact immediately after the Israelites are liberated from Egypt, after they are taken out of the hands of slavery, after God brings them out of slavery in which they've made brick day after day. In the book of Exodus chapter 16, they say this, in the desert, the whole community, what? Grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. We are God grumblers, friends. Because we constantly forget our story. Even the Israelites forgot their story. That as they went out into the desert, they said, only if we died back in Egypt. That when we forget God's story that is placed directly in our lives, we start to assume that we're going to be better off than somebody else. And we start to grumble against God. We start to get mad and angry against God. Then another thing that happens is that We fail to celebrate our own good fortune. You ever have those people that you're just constantly envious of? You ever those people in your life that just seem to constantly do better? You know, maybe maybe their kid gets better grades or or is a better athlete or whatever. Maybe they just have like a bigger house or the better car or the boat or or whatever it is. There's somebody in our life that that we're just kind of envious of. And maybe the reason that we're envious of them is because we haven't celebrated our own good fortune. That we haven't taken an honest look back at ourselves and really considered how fortunate we actually are. 
And that's what happens when we forget our story. That we start to become God grumblers. We start to get resentful. We fail to celebrate our own fortune that God has given us. We are called, friends, to remember. To remember the story that God tells us. When we do that, there are many good things that happen in our lives. One of them is that we actually see God in that. When we remember our story, we see God. We read about this beautiful psalm, actually 121. The writer says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. This psalm is actually, uh, Psalm uh, 120 and 121 are called the Psalms of Ascent, uh, coming from the word ascend, to go up. And these psalms were recited whenever travelers would go from wherever they were to Jerusalem. Because the road to Jerusalem was constantly up because Jerusalem was on a hill. That many of the roads looked a little bit like this. That if you were going to go to Jerusalem, you were always going to go up. You were always going to ascend. And so if you were going to look for God, you were going to look at the temple in Jerusalem where they believed God dwelt. And so they would constantly look up. They would constantly look toward the hills. They would constantly look up. And when they looked up, they could see Jerusalem. They could see the holy city. They could see the temple where God dwelt. And they started to get their help, friends. They started to find hope. They started to find reason in this life to do good. They started to see this thing at the temple when they simply looked up. And they remembered their story. They saw God. They saw God, friends. Another thing that happens when we remember our story is that we find the end of the story. This is one of the most important things to remember, that we find the end of the story. We read about the end of the story in in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. It's kind of a strange book, and and if you've never read the Bible, I wouldn't encourage you to read it, Um, but there are some particular points in there that I want to read to you. One of them is out of Revelation 21. The writer says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. Friends, this is the end of the story. This is what it looks like that God will dwell on this earth, that God will wipe away death, that God will wipe away fears and tears and crying and mourning, that this is the end of the story. And we truly see this when we remember this. We remember our own story in which we are placed, that God has written the end. God has already written the end. That we may not know where we are now, we may not know how we're going to get out of this, but we know who's going to pull us out. That the same God who drew us into this moment, wherever we are, whatever circumstance we may be in, that we know that God has brought us to this place, and God will bring us out. For He has already written the end, friends. He has already written the end. This is what happens when we remember our story. And the final thing that happens is we see past our own problems. When we start to see the magnitude of this story, we start to see past the things in our lives that we call problems. 
And we start to redefine them. We start to find purpose for them. One of the things that I uh, never experienced when growing up, uh, well, hardly ever experienced growing up, uh, was like that really painful breakup. You know, did you ever have that with like your boyfriend or girlfriend? Uh, I, I didn't really have that. Um, I, don't, I don't know how many of you know this, but Melissa and I actually dated uh, since we were 12. Um, I have a picture of us here, as embarrassing as it is. Um, that's us at the eighth grade dance. Uh, it was in, at the skating rink in Coweta. Um, we had to take off our shoes because they wouldn't let us walk on the skating rink with our shoes on. So we were all in our socks, you know, doing the, the slow da- like eighth grade slow dance, you know, like that. You guys did that, right? Come on. Yeah. So, um, you know, I didn't, like, we just dated since we were 12. I, we never really had, like, that painful breakup. You know, I never really experienced that in my life. We dated all through junior high and high school. Uh, we dated through college, actually got married between our junior and senior year in college. Uh, so, so I never had that. I never knew what that was like to, to have in my life. Melissa and I made a lot of friends um, in college and um, was really thankful for those. And um, actually, while we were in college, um, a couple of our friends started dating. Uh, and that was really fun. We got to go out on, you know, all these, like, you know, couples dates together. And we got to hang out with them all the time. And it, it was a really fun time in our life. And then our senior year in college... Our friends broke up. You ever have this when friends of yours are dating and they break up and it's hard? We didn't really know what to do or what to make of it. And then my friend, who was my roommate in college, started to kind of separate from us. Started to kind of drift away and, you know, called less and less and texted less and less. And then finally, we just stopped talking. That was really painful. It was really painful to happen, and I, and I started to go kind of crazy. And I started to think, you know, what did I do? And, and is there something that I could have done to, to not let this happen? And this really plagued me for a long time. And then a couple of years later, uh, Melissa and I were actually invited to a small group uh, just to go in and share and just kind of have some time with Christian community. It was a really great time. We're really fortunate. And as we were in this small group, we actually sat outside around this fire and um, we were just invited to go around the circle and just to share, you know, something we needed prayer for and, and something, you know, that uh, we could lift up to our friends. And, you know, we went around the circle, and another started sharing, and then um, there was this one girl who was in the circle, and who was really quiet the whole time, and actually got passed up. Uh, she said, you know, just, just come back to me, you know, I'll, I'll say something later. And we went around all the way, and then finally we came back to her. And she started to break down in tears. She said, I actually just broke up with my boyfriend of five years. And when we broke up, it was really hard. And, and I started to lose myself a little bit. And I, and I started to feel a little crazy. And, and, I, and, I, and I started to, to, to stalk him on, on Facebook and to see what he was doing just to have some semblance of life. And I started to wonder what I could do and what I could have done differently. And as she talked, I realized that I had gone through that same thing. 
It wasn't a partner like that, but it was a close friend of mine who had separated from me and it hurt. And we agreed to pray for her and afterwards I was able to share with her that, you know, I've never gone through that exact same thing, but I think I know what you're feeling. And what we find, friends, is that empathy is the greatest form of prayer. That actually being able to walk in someone else's shoes is the greatest way to be able to pray for them, for you know exactly what it is to feel that way. That what we might find is that we may not believe that God causes disaster, we may not believe that God causes hurt and suffering, but what we believe is that God repurposes that suffering, repurposes that hurt. That if we believe in a God of resurrection, we believe that God can repurpose anything, even death, friends, even death on a cross. So we're invited this week, friends, to look up and beyond our current circumstance. To look up and beyond our current circumstance and then to imagine right now how God will use us in the place we are. Whatever thing we may be going through, whatever it is in our lives that may be causing us pain or suffering, imagine how God will use us. That we might pray for that, that, that God will show us how God might use us in this special place this place that only we can walk through, this place that only we can be, we might ask that God would show us that. Because I believe that could truly change the world, friends. I believe this can truly change the world. There's a story of a dad who took his son to go see a movie. Um, It was actually uh, the newest Karate Kid uh, that came out in 2010. Did you guys see that? It's a pretty cool movie, right? It was pretty good. Uh, It had um, Jackie Chan and Jaden Smith in it. And, uh, you know, little, like, Jaden Smith gets kind of ripped, you know? Like, I watched him do all those sit-ups, and I was like, I can't, you know, I can't do that. And it's, it's a really cool movie, and um, actually, Will Smith helped produce the movie, Jaden's Dad. And um, there's a story of a father who took his son to go see the movie. And, and when they went to go see the movie, the father just watched his son, right, watch the movie. And, and, and if you've ever seen the movie, it's a really cool movie. And, you know, Jaden gets in all these competitions, these karate competitions, it's really suspenseful. Right? It's really kind of touch and go, and, and there's all these moments in which you, you wonder if Jaden's going to pull it out, right? if he's going to win this competition or that, and, and all these people are trying to cheat and trying to get ahead, and, 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 and Jaden just keeps going on, right? and, and this father watched his son just waiting for him to react to these moments. But what he saw is as he watched his son, he, const- he play- stayed completely stone cold during the entire time. Right? He was never surprised. He was never astonished. He was never stressed or suspenseful. He just watched this father, watched his son just stay completely silent the whole time, the whole movie. And so as they got in the car, started to head home, his father asked his son, what'd you think of the movie? His son said, well, eh? He said, eh? He said, that was great, right? Weren't you, weren't you worried for Jaden? Weren't you, weren't you worried for him? Don't, didn't you wonder if he was ever going to make it out of that competition? Didn't you wonder if he was going to lose that competition? And his son said, no. His dad helped make the movie. Yeah. His dad made the movie. Friends, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of all the things that happen in our lives, friends, our dad wrote the story 
our dad wrote the story. That whatever it is that we may be going through, whatever thing that may be happening in our lives, no matter how hard, no matter how long it may be, friends, we should never forget the fact that our dad wrote the story. Amen. Amen.